You're listening to audio from Grace Family Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at gracepsl.org. In that video, um, Tyler quoted a passage from Isaiah 53 that speaks about the sufferings and the death and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection, what is just made it possible for us to, to receive the love of God and the, the forgiveness of our sins. It reads like this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace to us was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's that central verse there, and I think we, we recognize it. By his wounds, we are healed. And certainly, Jesus incurred many, many wounds as a result of his sufferings. And we talked about those this last Friday in our Good Friday service. The historical accounts in the Gospels, and as well as historical literature, tell us that Jesus was basically brutalized and therefore wounded. In many, many ways, he was wounded from the multiple beatings he faced at his trials. There were six of them. He was wounded from the crown of thorns that was pressed into his skull. He was wounded from the Roman scourging, which, in, in which he nearly was lacerated to death. And finally, he was wounded through the nails, which pierced his flesh of his wrists and ankles, the spear that was thrust into his, his side, his cavity, chest cavity. Isaiah tells us that when it was all said and done, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. And his form did not resemble a human being. There was not a part of his body save the soles of his feet that had not been bruised or lacerated or pierced or punctured or cut. And all of these wounds... And all of these injuries produce wounds. And all of these wounds are symbolic of Jesus suffering for us, being judged for our sins. And this is what the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah. It makes sense now. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. But the wounds of His death were followed by the glories of his resurrection. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and when he did, all of the wounds that he had received as a result of suffering for our sins were gone. They were gone except for three, which became scars. There were scars on his hands, scars on his feet, and a scar in his side. And I want to take a look at that this morning. Our text is Luke chapter 24, the background is this. Shortly after the resurrection, Jesus showed himself first to Mary Magdalene, then to Peter, later on that afternoon to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And that evening, he showed himself alive to 10 of the 11 disciples that had gathered together to talk about all these reports and all of this news. Verse 36 says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. 
Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, it was just too incredulous, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened up their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Again, the text begins with this conversation among the disciples concerning the reports of Jesus' resurrection. And when they were talking about it, all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is in their midst. And they're, they're freaked out. He says, peace be to you. They were startled. They were frightened. They thought he was a ghost. And by ghost, the word actually means like an apparition or something visible but not physically tangible. They had thought the same thing. Remember when Jesus was walking on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of the storm? It's not that the di disciples didn't recognize Jesus, but rather they did not realize he was tangible, that he was in a physical body. After all, they saw that body crucified. They saw that body lying in a grave. That body was in a tomb, so they thought. So he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It is I, myself. Again, touch and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now, the first thing he does when he appears to the disciples, well, the first thing he says is, don't freak out. Chill. But the first thing he does is he says, look at my hands and my feet. He does not say, look, you know, at my nose or at my eyes or my ears, you know, things that would identify me. He says, no, look at my hands. He doesn't say, look at my facial features. He says, no, look at my feet. And why does he draw attention to his, his hands and his feet? Well, the answer is obvious because those are the places, of course, where the crucifixion had left its marks, where those marks were, were evident. That's where the nails were pierced, his flesh, and had left marks. That's where the spear had punctured his side. And so he showed them his, his hands and, and feet, and John's gospel says also his side. He shows them his scars because, you know, scars tell a story, don't they? I suspect most of you here this morning have a scar or two, and probably most of those scars tell some kind of story about your life. I have a, a scar, the first one I ever got on my upper lip. It was an accident that I had when I was a teenager. You know, when I was a teenager, I was a little bit prone to walking around the middle of the night with my eyes closed. They call it sleepwalking. We had just moved to a new town, and I, I, was, I, I guess I dreamed that I was coming up the steps of our previous house only to be awakened by the corner of the, my dresser puncturing my lip. The braces behind didn't help either. Every once in a while when I'm trimming my beard, I, I see that place where hair doesn't grow. And it reminds me of that event 45 years ago because scars tell a story, don't they? And the same thing is true with Jesus' scars. 
they tell a story. They tell the story of how he, the Son of God, came to earth to suffer and die on a cross for us in order to bear the penalty of our sins so we could be completely forgiven by God, become God's children. They tell the story of how he rose from the dead so we could be made alive to God and live forever. So this morning I'd like to consider several things about about Jesus' scars. And the first thing is this, and I think the obvious thing, is that they're identifying scars. The first and most obvious reason that he showed this, his scars to his disciples so they would have infallible proof that this was, in fact, Jesus of Nazareth, the very same Jesus whom they had followed for three years, the same Jesus they had deserted during his crucifixion, the same Jesus they had carried to the tomb to bury it was the very same Jesus who stood before them. And so they could know that for sure because he had these unique scars, the scars of his suffering, the scarred hands and feet inside. They testified to his identity. Had his disciples not seen this evidence, it may have been possible that they wouldn't have ever believed it was him. They even had trouble with it, with the scars, that Jesus was actually truly physically standing before them. And because they had a little bit of trouble with that, he says this. He says, do you have anything to eat? Not because he was hungry. Then he gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it. And Luke says he ate it in their presence. Now, why do you suppose Luke said that? Why do you think he even mentioned this? Well, a ghost doesn't eat. So in essence, Jesus said, look, guys, I am physically here before you. I'm not a ghost. I've risen from the dead. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my feet. And if that's not enough, watch me eat this fish sandwich. <laughs> so Jesus showed them his scars to identify himself as the Jesus they knew in the flesh, but also to identify himself as the Messiah that was promised by all the prophets in the Old Testament. He says in verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened up their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Man, would I have loved to have been there for that Bible lesson. And undoubtedly, I can't imagine him not taking them to the Scripture we began with this, this morning, the, the, the Scripture that Tyler quoted from Isaiah 53. And all of a sudden, it made sense to them. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. That's who this is about. The punishment that brought us peace with God was upon Jesus. And by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. So the first thing about Jesus' scars is they are identifying scars. But the second thing is, is they are reminding scars. Again, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He greets them, immediately presents them, scarred hands and feet. And we have to remember when he does that, he's, he's been in the grave for three days. And wounds don't heal into scars in three days. It takes weeks, it takes months, sometimes years for wounds to heal over and to, to, to scar. But three days later, all that's left is scars. Not wounds in the process of being healed, but scars. And therefore, if scars are not the result of a natural progression of the body healing itself, besides he was dead, and dead bodies have no regenerative powers in them. 
And so we have to conclude from this that these scars, these are, these are beyond natural scars. They're unique scars, but there's something else here. When Jesus was buried, his body was covered with wounds from his head to his feet. Most people don't realize that Roman scourging basically skins you alive. Not just your back, but your chest, your arms. No place was off limits. The scourging took place with a whip that had many tails. On the end of those tails was sharp pieces of bone and metal. And it was just basically designed to lacerate the entire body. He was flayed. But all that's gone. All that's, all that's healed. All the lacerations from Roman scourging, gone. The cuts from the, the crown forced into his skull, gone. The contusions from all of the beatings are gone. There's no mention of scars on his face, his neck, or his chest, or his back. Before the resurrection, his face was cut up so bad he was nearly unrecognizable. But after the resurrection, all of that's gone. And if the scars from the scourging and from the beatings and from the thorns were miraculously removed in the resurrection, it would have been just as easy for God to remove the scars from the hands and the feet and the side too, but those are left. All his wounds were healed in the resurrection with the exception of three that were supernaturally made into permanent scars. These scars are intentionally unremoved scars. And they are unremoved because God wants us to always have a permanent and visual reminder of His incredible love for us. These three imperfections in an otherwise perfect resurrection body are symbolic, visual symbols of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus' scars, they speak of His suffering for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus' scars are the guarantee of our forgiveness, that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' scars are a surety of all the promises of God, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that He will never leave us or forsake us, that He works in all things for our good, that He will shepherd our soul, that He will meet every one of our needs, and that He's prepared a place for us in the Father's house, and hundreds and hundreds of promises, all guaranteed by these scars. But above all, Jesus' scars tell us and remind us that God loves us. Jesse quoted this earlier, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His scars are the promise that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. His scars are an invitation to those who have yet to believe. To believe. They are an assurance to those who have believed to keep on believing. They tell us there is a way to be forgiven by God. There is a way to truly live this life to the fullest. And that there is a way to live beyond this life once it is over. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's what the scars guarantee. That if we take God at His word, we will live forever. The third thing about the scars is their eternal scars. Following the resurrection, 
after the last appearance of Jesus to the disciples, he ascended into heaven. And moments later, angels appeared to the disciples, and, and he said this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So when Jesus ascended, he ascended with scars. And when he returns, he'll come back the very same way with scars. They will not go away. They will not diminish. They will not lessen over time like our scars do. Second scar story. As a junior in high school, I had to have surgery on my elbow because it was dying on the inside. Rare condition. And so they went in and they drilled some holes to reintroduce the, the blood supply. And it still works pretty good. I can't bend it all the way, but that was 43 years ago. And I was looking at my elbow the other day and I almost couldn't find that, that scar. It almost disappeared. But Jesus' scars have not changed one bit over 2,000 years because they are eternal scars. One day when we see Jesus in all of his glory, he'll still bear those scars. When he opens the book of life there, we'll see it on his hand. We'll see the scar. We'll see it on his feet. We'll see it in his side. Why? Because those scars eternally testify to the fact that he died for our sins and that he rose again, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Those scars eternally testify that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are his. That's the surety that we have. Now, I don't know if we're going to need to be reminded of that in heaven. You know, on earth, we're constantly called to remember his death. In fact, every time we receive the Lord's table, the Bible says, as often as you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But in the perfections of heaven and the perfections of our new body and the complete absence of sin, I don't know if we're going to have to be reminded of those things anymore, but even if we did, we would have a tremendous reminder of it because when we've been there 10,000 years, we will still see his scars. And every time that we do, they'll prompt an outpouring of grateful worship, like the one we read about in Revelation 5, where Jesus is once again revealed as the Lamb of God. John writes, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne of God. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and praise. See, in these verses, Jesus Christ is figuratively revealed as a lamb, but not only a lamb, a slain lamb that was in fact living. In other words, there were scars on this lamb. And it indicated it had been slain. And those scars are a picture or a representation of the scars that remain on Jesus in heaven. And when Jesus reveals his scars in heaven, it causes all of heaven to burst forth in worship because those scars speak. Those scars tell a story. They speak of his glories, of his grace, of his mercy, and of his forgiveness. They are identifying scars, reminding scars, eternal scars. They're also compassionate scars. Jesus' scars are they're not only symbols of his suffering, they're also the evidence of his compassion for us in our suffering, when we're suffering. His scars 
testified of the fact that he left the glories of heaven and he took upon himself the weaknesses inherent within human nature. He identified with us. He became one of us. He suffered like us and therefore he can sympathize with us. The writer of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way yet without sin. In other words, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is not some distant deity who is unaware of how we feel, unaware of the heartache that we have experienced. He experienced it too. and Therefore, he's compassionate. And his scars are symbols of that. And that gives us confidence before him. The next verse in Hebrews says just that. Because he identifies with us, because of those scars, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why are we confident? What makes us so confident to approach him? What makes us certain that he can heal us? That He can heal our woundedness. That He can heal the scars in our soul. What makes us so certain? His scars. They're compassionate scars. Fifthly, they are beautiful scars. When you read the story of Jesus in the Gospel, you on many occasions come to the place where you, you realize something unique about Him. You see a wonder or a glory or a beauty of His person. John summarizes this beauty the best, I think, in the first chapter of his gospel, he says, the Word, another title for Jesus, the Word, the eternal Word of God, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. What's so glorious of, about Him? He came from the Father full of grace and truth. You know, there's only one person in the universe that's full of grace and truth. It's Jesus. You know, for most of us, these qualities are kind of like oil and water. They don't mix real well. We usually tend one way or the other, right? We're a little bit more on the truth side, some of us. And other of us, a little bit more on the grace side. But not Jesus. And Jesus wasn't 50-50 either. He was 100%, 100% grace and truth. A few pages later, we see this lived out in a story in John chapter 8 where a, a woman was brought before him by the religious leaders, caught in the act of adultery, about to be stoned to death. And Jesus said to her accusers, all right, if any one of you is without sin, let him go ahead and cast the first stone. In other words, because that would be the one, the only one qualified to condemn her. He was the only one there without sin. And one by one, you know the story, the from the oldest to the youngest, they, they left the room. They departed. And when they had all gone, Jesus turned to this woman and said, Is there no one left to condemn you? And she answered, There's no one, Lord. And then Jesus said, Then neither do I condemn you. There's the grace. Go and sin no more. There's the truth. They come together only in Jesus. And the reason Jesus could say, Neither do I condemn you is because he would be condemned in her place on the cross. And not only for her, all of us, because Scripture says what? All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of His death. We've all sinned. We all need forgiveness. 
We all need a substitute just like that woman. We all need a substitute to bear the penalty of our sin. And so Jesus reveals his scars. And his scars, they certainly say that something is desperately wrong with the human race. His scars are not the result of some minor moral glitch in humanity. Now, sin has ripped humanity from its creator. And Scripture reveals that this creator is a holy God who must judge sin, truth. But he's equally a loving God who has provided a substitute to bear our judgment, Jesus Christ, and there's the grace. They come together in Jesus on the cross. Jesus' scars testify to the fact that grace and truth have come together on the cross to liberate us from sin's penalty and from sin's power. I got one more point, and as I give it to you, I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing a benediction at the end. But the last point here about the scars is that the scars of Jesus are liberating scars. The scars of Jesus say you can be free from sin's penalty. You can be free from sin's power. You can be free from the pain that sin causes in our life. And all pain, directly or indirectly, comes from sin. Ours or somebody else's. Jesus says you can be forgiven. You can be free. You can be healed. You say, my sin is too great for him to forgive. Do you not see that His scarred hands are outreaching to you this morning through the Word. Do you not see that this morning? That He's offering you a second chance? He says in Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. What does that mean? I got more grace than you got sin, Jesus says. That's what that says. There's no one beyond His forgiveness. There's no sin he can't forgive. You say, my wound is too deep. Jesus said, bring that wound to me. We quoted it earlier. By his wounds, we are healed. Yeah. And after your wound is healed by Jesus, he'll give you even more joy by using that scar for his glory. For in all things, he works for your good. Maybe uh, you're afraid to really turn your life over to the Lord. You, you just don't want to lose control. You think you're somehow going to lose control of your life. Uh, he'll make your life a lot better. If you're afraid, though, look at those scarred hands. They're the most welcoming hands in all of the world. They say, without exception, come unto me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest in your soul, peace in your soul. Or maybe you say to yourselves, who am I that God should even care about me? These scars reveal that there is no one in all of the world, in all the universe, who cares more for you than Jesus. The scars of Jesus say that God God loves you. God can change your life. You don't have to be empty. You don't have to have that emptiness in your life. You don't, you don't have to be controlled by your habits. You don't have to be imprisoned by unforgiveness or, or bitterness. He can empower you to forgive. 
He can free you from habits. He can fill your life with a joy that obliterates that empty feeling. And that's what the scars represent. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus is no longer hanging on the cross. We've gathered together this morning to celebrate that. He's risen from the dead. And His resurrection is the validation of His death. It says that His death was received by God as the full payment for our forgiveness and the assurance of our salvation. Paid in full. But you have to claim it. You have to take it. It's been paid for. But you have to receive it. It's like any gift that someone would hand to you. You have to, there's a just kind of almost a little reaching out and taking the gift. And that's what you have to do with the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He rose again the third day so we could be forgiven. Fact. But you have to receive it by faith. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. In fact, I'd like every head bowed around here if we could. Let's just go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. You're here this morning. And you say, Jeff, that's me. I didn't expect this today, but that's me if I'm honest if, with you and honest with God right now. I want that forgiveness you're talking about. I want to be free. I want the evidence to go away. I want to have that fulfillment you're talking about. And I want the promise of salvation and the assurance of heaven and the hope of eternal life. I want that. If that's you, just lift your hand up and put it right back down. Just say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me this morning. I want that prayer. I see those hands. I see those hands. Raise it to God. Just say, God, that's me. That's me, Lord. I want that. Hands all over. I'm going to lead you in a prayer this morning. I'd like all of us to pray together in this place. Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again to make me right with you. I'm a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by my own goodness, but by Christ's goodness. I turn from my sin. I embrace the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a hand to all of those who prayed that this morning. At the end of the service, we're going to have some prayer team up here. And if you prayed that for the first time and would like more information about that prayer, will be available for you. But before we do that, we got a benediction this morning in song. Let's all stand and join the worship team together as they sing.